Welcome, everyone, to a Holy Mess podcast with me, Father Paul, who is his holy mess. This is a podcast to encourage, entertain, and give hope to those of us who are striving to find holiness in a very messy world. It's also a podcast for those of us who identify as a holy mess, like me, obviously, his holy mess. Are we not at all in some way, because of our weakfulness and our sinfulness, a holy mess? Yet the good news is that God, who is supremely pristine and pure, entered the depths of our mess and the mess of this world and made it holy. And he doesn't just clean up the mess in our lives, but he redeems it, uses it, and turns our mess into a beautiful message of hope. So tune in, bring your mess with you, and join me for a clean but very messy podcast. One, two, three. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of A Holy Mess with His Holy Mess, Father Paul. Uh, listen, it's been a couple weeks. I'm happy to be back. It's been two weeks since my last episode. I hope you enjoyed Hope Not Nope. Is that the name of it? Hope Not Nope? Yes. No. Hope. Yeah. Hope Not Nope. Say no to dope? No. It's Hope Not Nope. Yeah, that's what it is. So uh, I'm playing around a little bit. Listen, I'm trying to get in a better mood because I'm not in a great mood. What do you mean you're not in a great mood? This is your podcast. It's supposed to appear perfect. Uh, no, it's a holy mess for a reason. Thank you. I'm grateful for the uncomfortable, not good mood that I'm in and the uncomfortable interaction that I just had with some hater on social media. And, you know, ugh, why do I fall for the trap? Why do I fall? Some people, they don't care. They don't care of they 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 just want to troll you. And sometimes people have good points, and sometimes they don't. And sometimes I care too much. And uh, and you know what? I'm glad we're talking about this because this goes with the theme of this episode. Now, I am not going to explain to you what we're about to talk about, and then you're going to hear what we're about to talk about because I keep doing that. So you're going to hear this. The only thing I want to say about as an intro to this episode is that this is the first time. That I mean, I did this interview like six months ago. It, it was a long time ago. And I want to apologize to Mary Beth Bracey, who uh, is my interviewee, uh, for the, the, the long delay. But I'm really grateful for the timing because we're going to be talking about St. Therese. We're going to be talking about a book that was uh, published by, by her just a couple months ago. Not by her. I mean, she died in like the, you know, the late 1800s. It was published by Sophia Press by the former Bishop of Lisieux, who was really an expert in all things Therese. I just got back from France. I was just in Lisieux. I was just at Carmel, literally not even two weeks ago, like a week and a half ago, not even, okay? So I'm grateful for the timing of this episode. So Mary Beth, uh, Mary Beth Bracey, thank you. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm glad that this is finally getting out. And I think that you're extremely gifted and talented, and I can't wait for people to hear what you have to say. So sorry for the delay, but here you go. Uh, what I am going to say to you all right now is that 
you know, it's interesting because on the river cruise that we were just on in France, it was the St. Therese Little Way River Cruise with the Theology of the Body Institute led by Dr. Christopher West and uh, Jason Clark and Bill Howard and Wendy West was there and Jeanette Clark. And why don't I just tell you all my friends' names? Anyway, so, man, I'm telling you, if I would have paid all the, that money to go on that trip, just to hear the talks that Christopher West gave on St. Therese and the little way and connecting it to the theology of the body and the gospel, it would have been worth it. Really life-changing in many, many, many ways. And she just, Therese just knew how loved she was in her mess. I'll call it mess. She calls it her littleness. I'll call it mess. Because let me tell you something right now. Like, you know, I, I call this a holy mess and I call myself his holy mess and I use a lot of humor. But truth be told, I don't, I don't really like the mess. I don't like my mess. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are things about myself that I don't like that I keep asking God to clean up and to make better. And I keep thinking that I can't be a certain way or get to a certain point or status or position until the mess is gone, you know what I mean? Or until I grow or until I don't stink of that stench of that mess, if you will, you know what I mean? And I was so blown away how Therese, she rejoiced. She absolutely like rejoiced in the things of herself that were, let's for better, uh, I don't have a better word for that were unbecoming or that were messy, you know, yeah, she struggled, you know, when she was a little child and I mean, she was a little kid, she was a little child, but she eventually came to a point where she just knew so much of how much she was loved in her littleness. And when she found out like a new defect, she would like rejoice over this new defect of hers or this recurring defect of her character or personality because it made her want Jesus so much more. and It made her need Jesus so much more. And I'm totally paraphrasing it, all right? So if you're like a Therese scholar and you're like, well, you're not getting the proper verbiage correct, like, uh, turn this off. So it really hit me. And that's not new. It's nothing new because, you know, St. Paul talks about how he ended up boasting in his weaknesses, right? There was this thorn in Paul's side, Paul, this great apostle, and something was holding him back from, from the ministry that he wanted to do, or he felt like if God would remove this thorn in his side, he'd be able to do a better job for, for the church and for God's kingdom. And three times Paul asked God to remove this thorn, and three times God said no. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul came to realize that it's not in his strength, but it's in his weakness. It's in his powerlessness when God's power is made manifest. You know what I'm saying? And I've heard of that and I've preached on that, but I, I can't tell you that I've ever actually really boasted of my weakness. I can't tell you that I've ever, but I don't like my weakness. And I have to tell you that after Christopher, one of Christopher West talks on this, uh, the one day, and then the next day, he talked about this um, priest. He's re, uh, passed away. His name is Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti, Monsignor Albacetti. 
And even though, you know, him and Therese lived, you know, uh, many, many, many years apart and totally different stages of life. And he had this also this attitude that he just knew he was loved in his mess. And Monsignor Albacetti, in many ways, from my understanding of what, with all his gifts and all his talents and his brilliance and his sense of humor was a mess, you know, used to come in the classrooms with, you know, powdered sugar on his, you know, food on his shirts and he, you know, cigarette ashes on, on his shirt and his car was a mess. And uh, when he had to pick up Cardinal Voitiwa in 1976, the the future John Paul II, he picked him up with French fries on the floor in his car. Why would you do that? That could be debated. I'm going to end up having an entire episode on Monsignor Albacetti. But the one thing that can't be debated is that Albacetti just knew who he was. And he knew that he was loved. And he wasn't going to change. He didn't really care what other people thought about him because he knew what God thought of him. And he relied on the Lord. You know, why would we need a savior if we don't need saving? You know what I'm saying? Is Jesus just like our best friend or is he our savior? You know what I mean? Um, for the first time in my life, while I was on this pilgrimage in France, during Mass, I started to thank God for the things about myself that I don't like. I started to thank God for my weaknesses. I started to thank God for my messes. And I have to be honest with you, it's continued in my prayer and it's, it's, it's kind of been life-changing, life-altering. It hasn't been this huge change or anything like that, but internally, it's made a huge difference. And I need to allow to love myself in my mess, to really let God love me there and to love myself there and to not just shut off and be disgusted with these things of myself that I think are holding me back, but to allow the Lord to love me there and let him do with it what he wills. I'm saying all this, and I know I'm being extremely vulnerable, but I think a lot of us struggle with truly, 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 truly allowing us to be completely and totally loved as a whole. Everything about us, not just the good, but the good, the bad, and the ugly. Maybe you don't struggle with this. Maybe you're like Therese. Maybe you're like Monsignor Albacetti. I'm not, but I want to be. I want to be, and I want to get to know Therese a lot more. This is just the first of probably many episodes that I will end up doing along the way about St. Therese of Lisieux. And I cannot wait to do an episode about Monsignor Albacetti. I can't wait to tell you more about the pilgrimage, but it's already almost been 10 minutes for the intro and the episode is almost an hour. So it was an amazing experience and I want to thank the Theology of the Body Institute for putting this on and I want to thank Christopher West for his work and his ministry and everybody at the Theology of the Body Institute and everybody that was on the pilgrimage. I want to give you a very special shout out. I miss you all. I love you all. Um, it was, it was an opportunity to just be a pilgrim. I wasn't the chaplain, but 
Uh, it was a great opportunity to hang out with my buddy, Father David from England, who I hope is going to be on this podcast very, very soon. He's amazing. I met Father Luke uh, from down in Florida. And um, I, may, I don't, I, other than just saying Father David and Father Luke, I'm afraid to say specific people because I don't want to leave them out. But uh, there was this clique that we formed called the Hippopotamus Click. Maybe we'll talk about that another time with uh, me, Father David, Father Luke, Bill Howard, Alyssa, and Rosa. So special shout out to the Hippopotamus Click, but to everybody in a special way. I should probably just have us all on to talk about our graces. So anyway, so um, this is my podcast. I get to do what I want. If I want to give a long intro, short intro, I want to thank you for listening. And if you can share the podcast, if you could subscribe to it on YouTube, if you could download it, if you could write a review, if you could rate it, and if you want to give a donation, uh, I promise you that it will truly help to pay off for all the equipment that I bought for this thing because I'm paying monthly out of my own pocket, which is fine. But if you want to donate in any which way, shape, or form, Please send something on Venmo to His Holy Mess Podcast on Venmo and or on PayPal. And I will put the links to those uh, donation links in the show notes and on all my social media posts about it. And it is a, uh, remember, it is a non-tax deductible gift. It's not an actual donation um, so if you just want to give a gift to this podcast, that would be greatly appreciated for now until we go through with, uh, some other paperwork. So it's all good, yo. It's all legal in the hood. Checked it out. Spoke to a lawyer. Um, let yourself be loved. You are loved. You are loved in your mess, not despite your mess in it. In it, look at yourself in the mirror and let yourself be loved. No, that was corny. Uh, um, what's that, Michael Jackson? Take a look at yourself and make a change. Um, no, Eucharistic adoration, dude. Stare at Jesus in the Eucharist. Also, look at the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself, but gaze at the Lord in the Eucharist. Let him gaze on you. All right, yo. I'm glad I was in a bad mood. I don't even think I told you why I was in a bad mood. But this is cathartic. Mm, some people on social media, they're just going to hate on you no matter what. They're just going to hate on you. Why do you care? Why argue? Bye-bye. Just block them. Get them out of your life. Pray for them. Not worth it. If you're somebody like me that you have to respond to the comments, just peace out, yo. Hala, Have a great episode. Yo. Support Mary Beth Braithsey. Sophia Press Institute, what they're doing. Check it out. I, you know, I was so happy uh, and really honored and humbled and kind of excited. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from a Mary Beth Bracey with Sophia Press Institute, if I'm saying that correctly, uh, you know, saying that uh, she heard about my podcast and wanted to know if I wanted to uh, do any interviews or episodes about uh, some of the great books that they have coming out and speaking to either the authors of the book or the spokesperson uh, for these books because the authors can't always speak. 
um, and also sometimes uh, they're promoting a book where the author has already passed away. So, uh, so this is kind of like a new relationship here between a Holy Mess uh, podcast and Sophia Press Institute. So uh, humbled and honored. And now um, I have Mary Beth actually on the show, Mary Beth uh, Bracey, uh, who uh, works for Sophia Press Institute. Uh, what is your specific title? I know you're the spokesperson for this particular book, but for Sophia, Sophia Press as a whole, uh, what is your specific role and title there? So I'm a copywriter and I'm also a publicity coordinator. Ah, the publicity coordinator. That was it. Yeah. That, so that's why we're talking right now. Yes. What, what exactly does is a copywriter mean? So I read the manuscripts of the books and I write the text that's on the back and I write the press releases. And sometimes I write book reviews. Um, every now and then I do some, I guess you could say shadow writing. So I, I do, I have a variety of different hats. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. That's well, that's pretty cool. Shadow, otherwise known as ghostwriting, maybe perhaps. Yes, okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> and in this episode, uh, we're specifically going to be talking about a book that highlights uh, St. Therese, uh, written by uh, I didn't even realize this until I just looked at the show notes that this was written by a bishop. Yes, bishop. by the former bishop of Lisieux. Yes, okay. Bishop Guy Goucher. Okay, yeah, because you know what, for some reason, I never know why, like. Whenever like priests publish a book, it, they never like say father or reverend beforehand. For some reason, it's like just their name. I never understood it. So when I saw a guy, how do you pronounce his last name? Goucher. Guy Goucher. I'm like, okay, there's a guy named Guy uh, Goucher. <laughs> then all of a sudden, I'm I'm reading about the book, and it's like the former bishop of you know Lisieux and uh, wherever else. So um. So wow, so that that that's really awesome. So the former bishop of the very town where Saint Therese uh, was from, or where her convent was, uh, and this is exciting to me because I'm supposed to be going to Lisieux in uh, October uh, with the Theology of the Body Institute on their uh, Cien River cruise uh, at Saint Therese in the Little Way. So, and I've never been there before. So uh, when I saw the opportunity to talk about this book. Um, but also you yourself have offered, offered, authored uh, several different books and articles about St. Therese. And it seems like you're truly devoted to her and possibly or, or definitely an expert in uh, the, the, the way of St. Therese. And um, so can you, I mean, what, what, what made you personally so interested uh, with her? Why, why, why St. Therese? Why is your, you know, uh, let, let me read this right here, uh, your biography, uh, your, your bio. Mary Beth Bracey is a consecrated virgin of the Diocese of Ottensburg, New York. Uh, she is a writer who is blessed to research, publish, and speak extensively on various aspects of Catholic spirituality. Her books include Behold the Lamb, Bread of Life, and The Little Way of Healing Love Through the Passion of Jesus, the Stations of the Cross with St. Therese of Lisieux. She is also co-author of the books, Stories of, of the Book, Stories of the Eucharist. Mary Beth has written articles for numerous Catholic publications and recorded some Catholic talks. For more information or to view her blog, visit The Little Way. And I will put that link in the show notes. Uh, Mary Beth shares her birthday with St. Therese and chose St. Therese as her patron saint at confirmation. She was blessed with the opportunity to visit St. Therese's home, Carmel, and Basilica at Lisieux. Uh, 
during in France during her pilgrimage to World Youth Day in 1997, where it was announced that Saint Therese would be declared a doctor of the church. So I, I, I'm not honored just to have the spokesperson of a particular book about St. Therese. I'm honored to have you who love St. Therese so much to be on here uh, to speak about her, of course, about the book, but about her in general. So uh, wh why? Why are you so devoted to her? Why, why do you love her so? Um, well, it kind of started when I was picking my confirmation saint name and I was just flipping through an old book with all these beautiful pictures of the saints. And I saw her picture and I was really taken with it. And I noticed we had the same birth date. And I also noticed that she's known for like a little way. And it sounded like, to me, it sounded like a, a shortcut to have it. And I was like, I think I need to choose her as my saint so she can help me out. And from then I just became really devoted to her. I also learned that her feast day is on my mother's birthday, which was kind of cool. And um, one of my best friends has basically dubbed me a Therese addict because of how many books and things I have about her. But over the years, she's really interceded for me. I feel like on my vocational journey, sometimes I would head one way and kind of like a good big sister should be like, um, no, you're not going the right way. And so she would kind of direct me the other way. And then other times I asked her intercession for loved ones who were sick. Um, and I don't know if you want me to talk about that now or or what direction you'd like to go in? I mean, no, you, this is your story of why you, you really like her, why you're into her. So yeah, feel free. Sure. So probably two of the most impactful things were um, around the year 2000, um, actually 1998. Um, I had twin nieces that were born and they were very premature. They weighed like a pound and a half each. And the doctor said that they wouldn't live through the night. And so we did ask St. Therese's intercession. One of them is named after St. Therese and the other one is named Catherine, but they're around 25 years old now and they're doing wonderfully. So they had to overcome a lot of obstacles, but we, I, we really felt like St. Therese interceded for them. Um, I also have a great niece named Felicity and a couple of years ago, she had like an allergic reaction to an antibiotic and she almost died and she spent the better part of the year in a children's hospital. But my mother and I went to visit her um, when she was in ICU and we gave her a relic of St. Therese. And her parents asked us to especially ask the intercession of St. Therese. So again, Felicity's doing wonderfully. She runs faster than anyone I know. Um, she's very vivacious and just a very beautiful, joyful child. So St. Therese, I feel, has interceded for my family and I so many times. Oh, that's really powerful. That's really beautiful. And I'm realizing, you know, I'm, I'm talking about St. Therese and asking about St. Therese, but there, there very possibly are people listening to this podcast who don't even know who she is. You know, they might be saying, St. Therese, who is that Mother Teresa? Uh, you know, so for those who have no idea who St. Therese with you is, uh, how could we uh, summarize uh, who she is before we get into like the details of this particular book? Sure. So actually, Mother Teresa of Calcutta took her name after St. Therese. St. Therese was born in 1873 on January 2nd in Alençon, France. She grew up in, as you said, Lejeu, um, which is in the Normandy region. Um, she was one of nine children. She lost several siblings in infancy or in, in their early stages of life. But she had four sisters who also became religious. Um, so three of them were in the Carmel with her. And then another joined the Visitation Sisters. Um, her parents were very holy. In fact, her parents are saints. 
um, Louis and Zelie Martin. Um, and they were actually third order Franciscans. So it's funny that they had all of these Carmelite daughter daughters, but they did a wonderful example um, of like introducing their children to the Holy Eucharist and love for the poor and so on. St. Therese is the co-patroness of missionaries and also of France. Um, she never left the convent. However, she has literally, as she wanted to, traveled the world, um, as it says in this book title, both through her intercession, which um, Bishop Goucher described as a shower of roses, um, and also through her relic tour. And then she also, um, she died when she was very young at the age of 24. So she died of tuberculosis in 1897. And she said it was then that her mission would begin, that she would let fall from heaven a shower of roses. So in addition to her autobiography story of a soul, which her superior asked her to write, she was also um, a very gifted playwright and poet. She painted um, frescoes and she also embroidered really beautiful um, clothing for the clergy as well. So she had a lot of different talents and roles as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. And she's one of the, 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 uh, I'm sure we'll get into this in more detail, but like one of the very few, if you think about it, like in the whole history of the Catholic church, as it talked about in your, in your bio that where you were in 1997, uh, where she was declared that she was going to become a doctor of the church. And am I wrong on the number? Are there only 33 doctors of the church or is it 34 now? I, I thought, like you, that it was 33, but somebody told me 37 the other day. I know that there's only three women. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Interesting. Was St. Therese the first woman? No, um, no, it can't be. No, be, probably because of uh, uh, like St. Teresa of Avila or, you know, something like that. But it was shocking, right, that St. Therese would be because people were like, well, I mean, what did she, you know? What theological treaties did she write? You know, what, what, you know, what, I mean, she wrote like an autobiography, you know, and, and it, it supposedly there are many theologians that were very critical of the decision to make her a doctor of the church. And we'll get into why she was made a doctor of the church. But for those that may have no idea, like, what does that mean? What is a doctor of the church? Who, who is a doctor of the church? So a doctor of the church is a canonized saint. Um, and their teachings have to have the marks of orthodoxy and wisdom. Um, the doctrine has to be standard and useful to everybody. And also the writings go through a critical examination. So for instance, in the case of St. Therese, four examinations took place and her writings went in front of theologians and cardinals, both of the congregation for the causes of the saints, as well as for the congregation of the doctrine of the faith. Um, and basically they found that as Pius XI said, she was a word of God for the world, and her little doctrine of confidence and love is universal and accessible to all. Um, so it's really promoting the gospel truth that we come to God our Father as little children. And it, it might sound like, oh, well, th that's easy. But once you actually start to try it and kind of live in total abandonment to God, you realize that it, it's a journey. And we really need the saints like St. Therese to help us out. Yeah. She's she's been definitely uh, one of my favorite, uh, one that I've uh, felt very close to personally, um, even before I read her autobiography. And then I read her autobiography when I was in the seminary and just like really captivated by it, um, like truly captivated by it. And it was almost like I felt like like I knew her, like and she like so accessible, uh, accessible. 
and just help me because I'm somebody that really likes to complicate things, you know? Uh, I, I really do and overthink things. And her writings, her spirituality, her way of thinking it was just like, it's just, I don't know, just so simple. Uh, well, I guess, you know, people, so little, you know, the, the, the little way. Um, what is the little way? What does that expression mean? The little way, you know, St. Therese, the little flower. She's the little flower, uh, but she's known as uh, the little way. Okay. So what, what does that mean? Um, so I would say it, it comes back to really approaching God like a little child. So for instance, in her autobiography, she talks about how we can try to ascend the staircase when we're little, like when we're a toddler, but it, it, we have trouble doing it. So we can maybe get up the first step, but then we kind of have to reach out our arms and say, you know, daddy, pick me up and carry me. So for her, the little way was really to hide in the arms of Jesus and to realize that sanctity consists in doing God's will um, and just totally abandoning ourselves to him with confidence and love and trusting that he'll lead us and he'll guide us in his great love for us. Amen. Yeah, that's one of my favorite uh, images of just, you know, the arms of Jesus being like the elevator that just lifts this little child up to heaven or up to, up to him, you know, uh, not complicated, uh, not this, you know, huge stairway, uh, if you will. Um, but, uh, um, just this here, pick me up. You know, I remember when my nephew, uh, was, you know, three years old, he just, he wouldn't even ask you. He'd just go to you and just go like, uh, you, you can't see my arms right now because this, this thing is, this, this is why I should use the green screen. Um, <laughs> is it, you know, because, uh, but anyway, so, uh, th this is a holy mess. It is what you get. So, uh, but yeah, he just put his arms up. <laughs> Look at this thing. It's driving me crazy. Just put his arms for me to pick him up, for me to pick him up. And, uh, and that's what I envisioned, you know, really when I hear her talking about this, uh, and who wouldn't pick up this just little, you know, childlike child, child that just wants to be picked up and wants to be loved and wants to be held. And, um, so yeah, so uh, she's one of the greatest saints. Um, but why, why was she made a doctor? I mean, like there have been like doctors of the church who, you know, like St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the most brilliant minds that has ever existed in the, you know, his philosophical and theological treaties and, you know, uh, St. Augustine, you know, uh, some of the greatest writings that ever existed and St. John of the cross. I mean, you can barely get through his works. You gotta be like a real amazing intellectual to do so. And then there's this little flower, this, this little girl, uh, who wrote these beautiful, simple things about Jesus. And now she's, you know, she's put up where with like the intellectual giants. Why is that? I, th I think that's an excellent point, Father. And I think, like you said, we all have a tendency to overcomplicate things and to, to overthink things. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of really esteemed theologians uh, like Garagou Lagrange and Von Balthazar and so on, they compared her writing to St. Thomas Aquinas. So I think that she would take all that was really wise and holy um, and she would make it simple so that we could access it and understand it. And St. John Paul II said he was declaring her a doctor of the church because she is an expert in the science of love. So it all comes back to, um, she said, to love is to give everything and to give oneself. And that basically that's the only way to heaven. Like St. John of the Cross said, when we die, all that matters is love. 
So wow. she really pushes us in expert, An expert in the science of love. Yes. Powerful. Powerful. Uh, yeah. So I, um, I, I, I remember, I just remember hearing that many people were upset and, you know, when you read her, I, but then people would say who were like kind of against her, but then they read her works and they were completely captivated by her. And, you know, so, uh, she's pr probably one of the most accessible saints ever that should be recommended to everybody. So, so guy, Bishop Guy Goucher, um, Goucher. Goucher, not even close. Bishop Guy Goucher, like kind of like Bobby Boucher, uh, <laughs> from the Adam Sandler movie The Water Boy. Uh, <laughs> Guy Goucher, I can hear my friend Tim laughing very hard right now. Uh, when did he write this book? Um, he wrote it within recent years, but it was originally written in French only. And so then it was translated into English. And so it's coming out now. Um, I believe actually tomorrow is the release date for Sophia. Um, so, but he passed away. So I, I'm the spokesperson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you did tell me that he passed away. So we want to certainly pray for the repose of his soul. Uh, yes. You know, sometimes the, the, the pe people, they put in a lot of work, 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 and they don't even see the fruits of their work. But it's beautiful that, uh, you know, this mission and his book and, and you know, vision for all this is is, is coming out. So, um, you know, as much as you can to speak to, I mean, of course, you can speak about the book itself, but do you have any idea of uh, why he decided and went about to write this specific book with this specific title, uh, which is, I would like to travel the world. Yes, definitely. So he actually wrote several different books on St. Therese. I can remember reading one several years ago on the Passion of St. Therese, which talked about her sufferings toward the end of her life. But he also wrote a book about the story of her life. He also directed all of the critical editions of her writing. So in order to be a doctor of the church, everything has to be critically examined. So all of her different writings, um, not only her autobiography, but her letters and her poems, um, he helped oversee that. And so he did believe that one day she would be a doctor of the church, but he never thought he would live to see it. So of course he was ecstatic when St. John Paul II made the announcement at World Youth Day in France. I, I was also there and I did a cartwheel um, because I was very excited about that as well. Um, you did a cartwheel. I did a cartwheel in the middle of the streets of Paris. <laughs> so was it, it was like a, like a, a shock to people. They had no idea that that announcement was going to be made. Correct. Yes. Because everyone was waiting for years and years, but because it has to go through such an extensive process, they, they didn't know when it would occur. Wow. Wow. Are you still able to do cartwheels today? Oh, I, I probably could, but then I might need to take a trip to the emergency room. So well, <laughs> okay. So we don't want you doing that. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Uh, but no, that's great. That's, that's, that's powerful. That's beautiful. So, all right. So he wrote many books about her. Um, but this one, I would like to travel the world. I would like to travel the world. And then you just said before that she never even left her convent. Um, so what, what, what does that mean? And why are we even talking about, you know, her traveling the world when she, she didn't. Right. So I guess two things. He specifically decided to write this book um, because since he was in Leju and her hometown and he was the bishop there, people would send him tons and tons of miracles. So he, in this particular book, the first third of the book, there's 17 documented miracles and they're from people from all different walks of life. They're from doctors who had children who received a healing. 
Um, they're from your average Joe, Joe, Joe Schmo. It could be like an elderly person or somebody middle-aged who was very much, um, who had a lot of hatred toward the church or things like that, but then they encountered St. Therese and their heart was softened. So there's physical healings, mental, emotional, spiritual healings in the book. And he was just so inspired by all of these that he wanted to document some of them for the world to see. And then the second part, he does go through a, a longer explanation of why she's a doctor. And then the third part is about her relic tour. So St. Therese said in her manuscript B of Story of a Soul, that she talks about her vocation as an apostle, but she says one mission would not be enough for me. So her desire was to preach the gospel on all the five continents simultaneously and even to their most remote isles. So she definitely did that. And he documents 27 different countries that, that her relics visited. And he calls it a spontaneous evangelization. So at first they're like, do people even really care about relics anymore? You know, are people going to even come out? And in some places, like, for instance, at World Youth Day in France, they, they had, you know, almost two million people that came to venerate, venerate her relics. So people would come out in the streets um, and they would venerate her. There was confessions in the streets. There was only adoration. There was Marian devotions. So it really sparked this kind of Catholic revival. And people who at first wanted nothing to do with the church, um, they might see a picture of her and they would suddenly have a conversation with somebody. Um, so she really did spark a new evangelization and attracted people from all different states of life. Wow. So first first section of the book, Miracle Worker. Um, you know, people are used to hearing about Jesus being a miracle worker, you know? What does it mean for a saint to be a miracle worker, first of all? And then in particular, um, through St. Therese specifically. You said that he talks about 17 different miracles that are attributed to her. So how are saints in general able to perform miracles? And then um, let's focus on the first section of the book, the first third of, of her particularly being a miracle worker. Sure. So Bishop Goucher does a good job also at talking about, for instance, how in the Bible people would just want to get close to the apostles or maybe touch their clothing or something to be in their shadow in order to be healed. Um, so that's kind of, I think, where the tradition of relics comes from. And then in the book in particular, and the reason we might ask a saint for help is because they're close to God and they can pray for us. So I kind of like to think I have friends in high places. Um, so St. Therese says that she wants to praise the mercies of the Lord, and Bishop Goucher recounted all of these different stories because it's really a testament to God's mercy um, to work through, I guess you could say, ordinary people who lived extraordinary lives to help us out. So again, sometimes people were in really desperate situations, and she just helped them in life-changing ways. One of my favorite stories is about a woman whose husband was dying in the hospital and he was unresponsive. And the doctor said at this point, you know, it, we're not talking days, we're talking hours. Um, but she needed to run out to the store quickly because she knew her children were coming and she needed to pick up a few groceries. So she was coming out of the supermarket. She happened to look down on the ground in the parking lot near her car and she saw this little piece of cloth and she thought it was interesting. So she picked it up and it happened to be a relic of St. Therese. And she's like, well, someone will miss this, but I'll just take it. And she put it in her purse. So then she went back to the hospital. Her husband was still unresponsive and not doing well. And so finally, 
as the situation continued to decline, she said, what would happen if I just take this piece of cloth and put it on his forehead? And as soon as she did that, he became responsive again. And over the next weeks, he you know, recovered to the point that she was able to take him home. Um, so it, it was just amazing how something so sim seemingly insignificant could have such dramatic results um, in somebody's life. So there's a ton of stories about that. Um, and again, sometimes it just really impressed me how there might be like an addict or something like that who would encounter St. Therese and their life would be completely transformed. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. The, the, I mean, first of all, for people that don't know, that don't realize this, that in order to become a saint uh, in the Catholic Church, a canonized saint, uh, it is anyway, there, there do have to be miracles that are performed. I believe one for beatification, I believe, and then two for canonization to become a saint. Uh, beatification is to become a blessed, and then uh, canonization is to become a canonized saint in the church. And actual miracles that are studied not only by like theologians or you know church leaders, but by scientists. Okay, and not necessarily always you know like scientists who are also Catholic, but even you know non-believers, even atheists, scientists. They, they study these things and say, that, well, there, there is absolutely no medical, no scientific reason that this person's, I don't know, tumor disappeared or that this person uh, who was completely paralyzed is now able to walk. There's no reason. So those type of things have to be um, you know, examined. Uh, there's an investigation. And then at a certain point when they say, hey, this seems like it, I, I don't want to call it a, you know, a miracle, some people will say, but science can't explain it, you know what I mean? And we people of faith will say, but that's that's because of the Lord, and <laughs> that's a miracle. Um, and it's not the saint themselves, and please correct me on this, but I don't, I don't think you'll have to, uh, very arrogant of me, um, but I don't believe that um, uh, the, the church teaches that the saints heal uh, in their own power at all. It's, it's, it is really Christ through them. It is Jesus Christ who is the divine healer. He's the one, you know, like when Peter, uh, you know, the apostle, uh, when he uh, knelt down and looked at that man begging uh, at the gate uh, of the temple, he said, listen, I don't have, I'm going to screw up the exact phrase, but to paraphrase him, he's like, you know, I don't have gold. I don't have a coin. All I have is uh, Jesus Christ. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, it wasn't Peter himself who healed this the, the, this man begging. Uh, some people say that uh, they 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 just wanted to like like just catch the glimpse of the shadow of one of the apostles, hoping for a miracle. And but we have to remember, well, what what happened before Christ went away, and all of a sudden all these miracles happened through the the apostles. Uh, Jesus himself said he breathed on them, right? He And he said, receive the Holy Spirit, okay? He sent his Holy Spirit as God upon them. And then that was before he ascended back to the Father. Then also uh, what we're going to celebrate in just, I think, about two weeks from now is the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down upon the apostles in an even more potent and powerful way because the first example that I gave you specifically had to do with their being able to forgive the sins of other people. He said, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain are retained. But then he said, I must go so that the advocate can come 
And when they were praying and the Holy Spirit, uh, they were, I mean, before the, the Pentecost came, they were hiding behind closed doors. They were cowards. They were full of fear. Then all of a sudden, bam, the very Spirit of God that descended from the Father and Son came down upon them, and they had the courage to go out to proclaim the kingdom of God, to baptize, to teach the all nations, and they also performed the many, many, many miracles in his name. And that doesn't just go for the saints of biblical times. That goes to today to somebody like St. Therese. So that's how somebody like St. Therese uh, has been known to, to perform many miracles. Are there any others, not to put you on the spot, but is, is there like one or two others, uh, two other miracles that you might be able to, uh, cool miracles that St. That Therese uh, uh, was able to uh, come through for uh, somebody who was really suffering or uh, terminally ill? Um, yes. So there, there was actually a test. There's testimonies from two doctors. One doctor gives a testimony about her son who was healed of an illness. And it actually started when she was pregnant for him. The doctor had encouraged her not to carry the baby because um, basically they thought that the baby would have all of these different terrible things wrong with it. And they wanted her to have all of these tests, but she refused to do so because she knew that it would put the baby in jeopardy. Um, but the baby was born and was healthy and he did have some, you know, health issues along the way, but she felt like every time he had an, a health issue, she would ask St. Therese's intercession and he would be okay. Um, there was another doctor who was an agnostic and he was very depressed. He, he just didn't see a reason to live anymore. And so he was walking down the street one day and he happened to look in a bookstore. He saw St. Therese's autobiography. He's like, hmm, I wonder if that person could speak to me. So he picked up her autobiography. He started to read it. At first, he thought it was kind of mushy and wasn't crazy about it. He put it down for a while, but then he he was kind of struck by something that happened, and he thought, maybe I'll pick this back up. And he, he was completely um, changed, and he had a whole new outlook on life. So as you said, the saints don't, um, they don't intercede for us to attract um, attention to themselves, but to bring us to our Lord. I, I always like to think of that gospel passage. Um, where they couldn't get to Jesus with the man who was paralyzed. So they, they actually like kind of raised the roof and they, they had him come down um, through the roof and Jesus healed him. So I kind of think of the saints as the one that, ones that bring us to Jesus and do that. I thought it was interesting. I hadn't heard this term before, but all the different miracles um, Bishop Goucher describes kind of as Therese winks. So um, all these instances where she's interceding for people, he kind of describes it that way that St. Therese is kind of winking at us um, when she intercedes for us. So there were a lot of other examples as well. For instance, um, people that were healed of throat cancer, and she doesn't only intercede for Catholics, she intercedes for everybody. So people from the Jewish tradition or even from Islam, um, or it talks about an Orthodox surgeon who asked her, her intercession was healed like of meningitis. So there's all sorts of different um, examples of people that she has interceded for and sometimes the most unlikely cases that you would imagine. Wow. Is that tied to her saying that, you know, from heaven, she's going to shower down roses upon earth? Is that like her miracles, one way of doing that, of good deeds? I might be misquoting that. Um, is that more of like the third section of the book? Yes. So the first section does talk about the 17 documented miracles, but the last section that kind of brings you through different testimonies of things that happened during her relic tour, that also 
um, does talk a lot about the miracles. And as Bishop Goucher says, the storm of glory. So the shower of roses. Um, I, I love this image at my home parish. There's this picture of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and she's holding the baby Jesus. And she kind of has like this apron on and there's all of these roses and they're kind of like letting the roses fall down. And St. Therese is kind of capturing in their capturing them in her hands and they're kind of coming down to the rest of us. And I just think it's so beautiful. What a beautiful analogy of how she intercedes for us. And so there is a lot of documentation also in the third part of the book about all of the different people that she interceded for. Like maybe someone was really depressed because they didn't have a job. And so they happened to go out into the streets and be led to where her relics were and they experienced some sort of healing and they had a new outlook on life. Um, other people, they tried to, some Catholics tried to do kind of like street evangelization. So they would try to talk to people about the faith. And at first they might be like, no, not interested. But then they would just hand them a picture of St. Therese and they were all of a sudden captivated. And then they were kind of willing to have a discussion about the faith. Um, so it, it's so interesting to see how people came back to the sacramental life of the church. And again, how St. Therese isn't like, I want attention, but she, she kind of brings us to a life of prayer into a personal relationship with Jesus. And also how sometimes vocations were inspired when people came out to see her as well. Wow. Wow. Could she take visitors when she was alive in Carmel or not? Not really. Not many. I mean, she was in a cloistered convent, which means like they don't leave. They, they don't leave. They don't go home. I mean, that could be a whole other topic of a podcast another time. You know why about that? Why things like that exist? But, um, you know, it's, it's just I don't I guess the reason why I'm asking because it's it's so she's so famous and she's so beloved and she never left this little convent you know what why is her message why is she so famous and beloved i mean she died at the age of 24 she never left her town how is this possible? What what is it about her? I mean, around, I mean, she has been around the world. This little girl that wanted to go around the world. You said all five continents at the same time. You know, preaching. She never left, and yet she has gone all around the world. And I'm sure that's the the the, the entire point and purpose of this book that that the that the bishop wrote. Right. I think that's an excellent point, Father. And I think that she received very few visitors and the one she did, um, that like the Carmelites and other cloistered orders sometimes have kind of like a grill. So you're looking at them, not so, so much face to face, um, but there's like a grill separating you from them. Um, I think that what comes to mind is the words of scripture where Jesus talks about how he would use the weak to shame the strong. And so St. Therese was willing to be used by God. She was willing to be like a little child and a pencil in his hand, so to speak, um, in order to lead others to him. So, for instance, even before this book talks about modern day miracles from like the 1990s to our time, which is kind of unique among books about her and her miracles. But Bishop Goucher said he was really excited because he had access to all of these miracles that occurred, you know, over 100 years ago. So for instance, between her death and between 1925, when she was canonized, there was already documented 3,252 miracles. And sometimes they would be miracles that occurred to a James Bond-like figure or a monk 
um, or it could be different World War I soldiers who asked for her intercession and their lives were spared. So I think that she really touches the hearts of people regardless of their vocation or their occupation. Um, I, I know at first when my spiritual director read Sorority of a Soul, he thought it was too syrupy, but then he came across this book called Maurice and Therese where she's writing to a missionary and she has some of the most beautiful words I've ever read before on suffering. Um, so she really ministered to people regardless of their vocation and their walk in life. Um, and I think that's why she's so popular because as Bishop Goucher says, people came to see her as like their own sister because she interceded for them in really personal and beautiful ways. Wow. As their own personal sister. You know, it's funny you said so about the suffering and uh, because she did suffer, she had tuber tuberculosis, which at that time was not curable. Uh, at least I don't think so. And, um, you know, I heard about that more recent, Therese. Uh, we had a, a, a Carmelite friar in our seminary, Father uh, John Russell, Jack Russell, and uh, loved uh, St. Therese uh, with a passion, uh, loved being a Carmelite. Uh, and he, he talked about those letters um, and I remember in reading, uh, just reading in, even in the uh, autobiography, the story of a soul, there was some talk of, of suffering and everything like that. And I remember for me, when I was in the seminary, I was, I was scared of that. Like, I was like, well, why do I, why do like the, the greatest saints have to suffer? You know, like it, 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 it if, if me becoming a saint means that I have to suffer a lot, then I don't want it. Like, I don't, I don't want to do it, you know? And here I am reading about this, you know, I don't know how old she was at the time when she was writing, you know, 22, 23. I know she died at 24 and she's embracing this, you know, um, maybe not perfectly, uh, or whatever, but, um, so do you have anything to, to, to say on that? I mean, I'm not sure if that's what, you know, the, the part of that is, is in, in this book in particular about, but why was she able to just uh, embrace the suffering and talk about it in such a way that you said that it's some of the most beautiful uh, ever uh, written uh, things about suffering? I think that sometimes before people are familiar with St. Therese's life, that they might think, oh, you know, she came from this really beautiful saintly family. What did she know about suffering? How can she relate to me? Because she must have had it so easy. But her mother died when she was four of breast cancer. And then she kind of, even though it was a beautiful and wonderful thing, her sisters, her older sisters, who she kind of looked to as a mother, kind of went a few of them one at a time to Carmel. So she kind of like lost her other mother figures as well until she joined Carmel herself. Um, but also shortly after she St. Therese became a Carmelite, her father developed dementia and she was very close to her father. Um, so she had some of the same sufferings that we face every day, whether it's cancer or loved ones, you know, who are sick. Um, and she also, during the last year of her life, she had a terrible trial of faith. So she would make a act of faith and devotion. And, you know, she continued to love God above all. Um, but at the same time, there was like this wall between her and heaven. So she can really, I think, identify through so many different things that people go through and experience and kind of walk through with us through it and help us to develop confidence in God. So that last year of her life, was it a struggle the whole time up until death? It, it was. And I think that like the tuberculosis, I mean, it would, be, would have been terrible enough if it was just the breathing 
but I think I read one time that like some of her bones were like protruding out of her skin. Like it, she developed like gangrene and other things. She, she had a lot of terrible sufferings toward the end. And additionally, um, sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes people make uncharitable comments. And one day she overheard some of the, uh, some of the sisters in her convent say something like, well, when, when she dies, no one's going to remember her because she never did anything remarkable. Um, yes. <laughs> so there's also those kind of emotional sort of, but, but it's amazing though, because St. Therese was so confident in God's mercy that although she was going through this great darkness, um, she believed that one day everyone would love her. Everyone would know her, um, that God was going to do something wonderful amidst all of the, the suffering she was going through. So she, she had a desire to be loved not only by God, but by other people. I think so. In, in the sense that if it would help lead people to God. So not like purely for like fame, like fame reasons. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. Just checking on that, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, all right. So we, we talked a lot about the, the first part of the book. We talked a little bit about the third part. Uh, we even talked a little bit about the second part. Cause you said it gets into um, her becoming a doctor of the church. Is there anything that we didn't tackle that maybe we should let the audience know about that second part of the book? I think that it will just give them a, a very good understanding of what it takes to be a doctor. And then also again, how it was just completely, like you said, revolutionary um, because she's the youngest doctor of the church and she was only the third woman. Um, Teresa of Avila and St. Catherine of Siena were before her. Um, and that didn't even occur until 1970. So up until 1970, all of the doctors were men. So it was quite revolutionary to have another woman added, but also one who was only 24 um, is, is really incredible. Yeah, that, that is very powerful. And, and when we talk about the around the world, you know, um, I mean, that, that's the title of this book. So, I mean, did, did he do this? Did he name it that? Because, you know, because of the significance that she has over the whole world that, and that, you know, he wants uh, the Bishop um, who has passed me rest in peace for more people to know about her around the world. Yes. So are, he, like, are her relics still going around? Are there, is she in other you know parts of the world at, at, at this moment? Um. I, I'm not exactly sure if there's like a perpetual relic tour. I know that I did see her relics many years ago when she was in Albany, New York. So that was like, gosh, almost 20 years ago, probably. Um, and she went to met like, again, five different continents. Um, and sometimes she would end up going back to the same continent or staying longer in different places because there would be such a good turnout. They needed to have other opportunities to visit her. Um, in addition to the relics that traveled, of course, like through the proper channels, you can get first class relics. And I, I happen to be holding one while, while we're talking right now. <laughs> wow. What is it? It's it's a first class relic of St. So like, uh, yeah, but actually, like my for, mom but, got for me several years ago. So for people that don't know what a relic is and they don't know the like, what is a relic? I want to do an entire episode of relics and I know who I'm going to invite for that. But what is a relic and what is a first class relic? So a first class relic and, and you can correct me if I'm not exactly right, Father, but it could be a bone, for instance. So this is like a little piece of bone. Yes. Um, I think like it could be a drop of blood too, right? Mm -hmm. Or something like that. Um, so sometimes we also talk about like third class relics, which might be like a little piece of cloth that you touched to the remains of the saint or something like that. 
Yeah. So, and you know, to these people that think like, oh, these Catholics might out of their mind. I mean, they're carrying around pieces of the person's bone or their hairs or their blood. And, you know, that's uh, such superstitious stuff. Well, you know what? You know, look into relics and what what happens sometimes when people are in 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 the place of these relics. We had um, Father Carlos Matens, I believe his name is. Do you know of him? Yes, he's amazing. Yeah, he is. So he he came uh, to where I was at Our Lady of Peace, uh, Queen of Peace in Maywood, New Jersey, about a year or so ago. He came to give a whole talk about relics, and he brought like hundreds of relics from the Vatican uh, downstairs all throughout the church. It was, I mean, uh, throughout the basement. Beautiful. I'm telling you, it was an intimate experience with these saints, even though there I am and there's just a tiny little, maybe it's a piece of their bone or, or some blood or hair or, you know, um, something that they touched or whatever. And, and I'm talking about, he had hundreds and hundreds and I felt like, you know, not for every single one, but the ones that like, I really caught my eye and I stopped and I prayed, I felt like I had an encounter with that person. You know, even though they were dead, uh, even though it was just like a little piece of them. Um, and sometimes, I mean, it was like, like really powerful, like very, you know, very peaceful. So, you know, yeah, I mean, for people to say, well, you know, that kind of sounds a little weird. Well, yeah, I guess, it, well, it's not normal, right? It, it, I mean, I it's, guess it's normal in, in the, in the area of, of, of faith. Um, but, uh, it's just an, a, a powerful encounter with the, the lives of hundreds and thousands of witnesses and saints and martyrs uh, that have gone before us. You know, uh, I don't even, I, but I don't know personally if I've been in the presence of uh, a relic of Saint Therese. I, I must have because my one of my former pastors, Father John Gabriel, is loves Saint Therese, and I know he has a reliquary, so I'm sure I was. Uh, but that's so cool that you have one on you right now, and of course you would because you know uh, you've, you're very close to her or a Therese addict, as your friend said. So that's so cool. Is there anything that I didn't bring up about the book that we should mention uh, to, to be able to plug it or to pique people's interest in, in really getting a copy of it and, and reading it? Um, I, I guess what I would say is I, I think what impressed me the most is these aren't things that happened, you know, 150 years ago. These are things that happened just within the past few decades or even, you know, within the past 10 years. Um, so they're modern day miracles again, um, from people, from doctors to your everyday guy. Um, and I guess just how St. Therese impacted them so much. Um, and how, because she said, I would like to travel the world, she definitely succeeded in doing that um, through her intercession in the shower of roses. Um, oh, one thing I do think I should mention is she didn't just visit churches when, when her relics went around, but they also brought her to like hospitals and to retirement homes, uh, to monasteries and seminaries. And they even brought her to like prisons and to Dachau concentration camp. So she literally went into the places that sometimes people experienced or were experiencing the most pain. Um, and I think just reminded us of God's presence and his healing and his mercy and love. Um, so I think that's what she wanted to show people above all, because she she lived in a time when we were coming out of a period of Jansenism and people um, had kind of forgot about God, God's love and mercy. But because of her spiritual writing, um, 
children couldn't receive communion until a later age. However, because of her writing, Pius X was so inspired that he lowered the age where you could receive first communion. So she really had an amazing um, impact on the church as we see it today in terms of our understanding of God and his love and his mercy and, and the total confidence that we can have in him as his children. Um, and as you said, just to kind of abandon ourselves into his arms and to trust that he is the elevator that will lead us to heaven, which is his sacred heart, she believed. Um, so yes, definitely. It, I am honestly very critical of books on St. Therese because I love her so much. So, um, but I was delighted when I read this book and I just learned even more new things about her. Um, and it was really hard for me to put it down because of the miracles that were recounted because of they're so inspirational. And you, you have authored books or a book uh, on St. Therese yourself? Yes, uh, The Little Way to Healing Love Through the Passion of Jesus. It's Stations of the Cross, and it includes um, some of her writings and then just kind of like really honest prayers between like the soul and God, kind of like, you know, why should I trust you? I, I don't have that in me type thing. Um, or I might be discouraged or I'm afraid of suffering. Um, so it has like a scripture passage. It has excerpts from her writings and then a little meditation as well. Um, yes. So it, it was definitely powerful to write. And I'm grateful I did because it was, you know, writing's kind of therapeutic for us as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. No, that's and where could people's. Uh, uh, where can people find that, or, or what? What can we plug for you right now? We're obviously plugging the book. Got to put the show. No, you know, did you say the book is coming out tomorrow? Yes, I believe tomorrow is the um, actual release date. They they do have them in stock, but they'll start shipping out tomorrow. Okay. All right. So that's May sixteenth of twenty twenty three. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Cool. All right. Great. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah. So where, where could where, where could they find that um, that book on the uh, the twelve stations of Saint Therese uh, that you wrote? Oh sure. Um, if they go onto the Little Way blog, there's a link to it. Um, like you can also get it on Amazon. But the Little Way blog. Uh, yes, it's like a Wix site. I have the Little Way. Okay. All right. Wow. So you have your website is all about the Little Way, all about Saint Therese. Um, it's, it's not all about St. Therese, but she was definitely kind of like the inspiration behind it. Have you been to Lisieux like 20,000 times? No, I've only been once. Really? Yes. At one time in 1997? Correct. Wow. Okay. Yes. I'm supposed to be going there later in the year in October. Please pray that it, that it absolutely definitely happens though. Yes, definitely. That's uh, something that's just, what about, uh, all right. So you said that you're critical of books about her. What about movies about her? Are you critical oh. about movies about her? Because I, yes. some, people, some people are. Uh, I remember going to see in 2004. Matter of fact, I have a story. Uh, I was, <clears throat> let me go back to when I was 17 years old. I was in my pastor's office at the rectory just asking him a bunch of questions. I, I had a lot of panic attacks at the time. I, I just had a lot of questions about life, about the church. And um you know, he was answering my questions. Very wise man, very holy man. I've had him on this podcast, Monsignor Paul Bocchicchio. Uh, we do missions together now. And anyway, there I was, 17. And all of a sudden, I just stopped the conversation. And I said, you know what? I said, Father, I'm really grateful for what you're doing uh, for me and just meeting with me and being patient with me and answering my questions and, you know, trying to bring me closer to God and everything. But just do me one favor. Um, please don't ever try to talk to me about becoming a priest. Uh, 
And he kind of stopped and paused and he's like, all right, well, you know, I'll, I'll re respect your wishes. Um, and he's like, I, I think you have the, the quality, I think you have the qualities to be a good one. Uh, but I, you know, I'll respect your wishes. So, and you know, we, yeah, I started, I mean, it's a whole story of me going to church more and that's in the episode with him. You can listen to that. Uh, it's called the Godfather. Uh, cause that's what I call him. But, uh, Four years later, in 2004, I am driving with him into New York City uh, because there is a, a screening or a showing of this movie about St. Therese. I forget what it's called. It might have just been called Therese. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. There's a lot of different things going on in my life at the time. But as I think I was driving, he was in the passenger seat. And I said to him, I said, you know, I said, do you remember four years ago when I was in your office and I, I told you to never talk to me about trying to become a priest he's like oh, yeah i said well you could start to talk to me about it <laughs> and that was on the way into new york city to go see a movie about saint therese um and then literally the rest of the evening was watching a movie about the life of therese and i don't remember every detail about that movie um i think i liked it you know uh i do some people i think might have been a little critical of it or whatever uh, you know, uh, people are very critical with certain Christian movies because of, I don't know, maybe they lack some of the, the beauty and the, the art, uh, that, 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 you know, these other big budget movies get. Um, but yeah, I, anyway, I not to put you on the spot if you're critical of that, I just was, wasn't sure what you thought, or if there's any like movies on Therese that you really do like that you would, um, you know. Uh, if somebody said, I want to watch a movie about it right now, are there any that you would recommend? Um, I, I think, like you said, I would probably start with that one, which is simply called Therese um, that Leonardo de Philippus put out. Um, I actually promoted it in a big way in my area. Um, so there's like this old movie theater in our area. And my mother and I at the time had a Catholic bookstore and we, we were able to have the movie shown there. Um, before the movie theater closed. So it was actually the last movie that was ever shown there, which was pretty amazing. Um, but I, I can't believe how many hundreds of people came out to see it. Um, and some people, like I know one young lady from my church who had been away from the church for years, she was, you know, working in a bar and she was just not interested in religion anymore. She came to see it and she came back to church and is now a very fervent Catholic um, who's a secular Franciscan and sometimes goes to daily mass. So I think that sometimes the power of film can be really amazing. Um, I know like the theme song even from that movie is really impactful to me, the Canticle of Love. I remember when I went to see her relics, the priest had the the theme song playing and I just, I seriously felt like I, I was in heaven because it was I was going through a really rough patch and the lyrics of the song it, it were really powerful. So I think there are, are some old black and white movies I can't recall the names of them either, but I would definitely start with the one that you mentioned because I think that um, people could probably appreciate it maybe a, a bit more. Wow. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I want to I want to rewatch re that one now. And a big shout out to my my former pastor. Uh, well, one uh, Father Pope Kikio who uh, helped me become a priest and took me to go see that movie in New York, uh, even though I drove. It was his idea to go. And, uh, but father, father, John Gabriel, uh, who I've had on here before, 
uh, just loves, loves, loves Saints, Saint Therese. As a matter of fact, he's probably going to be like, why didn't you have me on to do the episode about <laughs> Therese? Uh, <laughs> no, um, we're going to have him on to talk about his entire book, um, which I think he wrote a letter to her in, in his book because he has a book uh, called To the Tin Man where he writes letters. It also, just like St. John Paul II, uh, now John Paul the first wrote a book to, I think it's called like Elish, I'm going to mess up the, the name of it, but, um, John Paul the first, uh, wrote a book before he was Pope to like different historical figures or figure or non-fictional figures like, you know, Peter Pan or something like that. So, um, so, uh, my pastor, he wrote a book about, um, to like, you know, to the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz or, you know, to St. Therese of Lisieux or, you know, um, to, you know, Frosty the Snowman and stuff like that. And so, um, anyway, he, he writes to St. Therese in, in, in a chapter in, in that book, just about what, you know, what she's done for his life and everything like that. So, um, and I have come to know her much, much more, uh, because of him, uh, and through him. So I just want to give him a special shout out, uh, and let him know that like, yeah, we're going to have you on soon. All right. No. So, all right. Well, listen, uh, Mary Beth, uh, Bracey, I said it right. Yes. Awesome. You've been a, a great guest, very, uh, informational, but not only just informational academically, but passionate, about what you're talking about, uh, which is really the type of conversations uh, that I like to have. You know, somebody that 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 has that zeal. Uh, you know, in 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 in, in what they're talking about. Uh, you mentioned something in the very 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 beginning of this episode. Actually, I mentioned it while reading your bio, so I don't want to just skip over it. And I want to have you back on to talk about it in a whole separate episode. But uh, the very first thing to say that Mary Beth Bracy is a consecrated virgin for the diocese of. So. And I'm sure people will be like, what? What does that mean? What does that mean? Okay. So very briefly, because we're going to have you back on to do an entire episode about it. But for those that are like, well, what does that mean? Or if, you know, they look you up because of the show notes, what is, what is a consecrated virgin? What is consecrated virginity? Um, so the 60 second answer is consecrated virgins are brides of Christ. And from the earliest days of the church, from the first centuries of the church, women who long to give their lives to Christ would be consecrated by a bishop. So there's one tradition that says that St. Matthew the Evangelist actually consecrated virgins. Um, so before there were religious communities of nuns and sisters, there were consecrated virgins, and they would live uh, um, lives of prayer and penance and charity. And But sometimes they would live maybe with their, their family of origin, or maybe they would live alone, um, or maybe they would live with a few other women who had the same um, desire. So we might have different occupations, but our vocation is to be the spouse of Christ and to um, pray without ceasing for the salvation of the world, as it says in the, in the rite of the consecration of virgins. Wow. Powerful. Powerful. And you're going to help me put together an episode uh, that, that will have the whole, a whole thing on consecrated virgin. I have gone to two um, Ceremonies, I, 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 liturgies, masses where women were con being consecrated to become a consecrated virgin. We'll talk more about that. So listen, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for reaching out to me, asking me to interview different authors and spokespersons. Uh, so the name of the book is called... Um, <laughs> I would like to travel the world. I would like to travel the world. I should probably keep this in. Uh, 
I would like to try. I had it right here, and somebody called me, and it got I got all screwed up. So I would like to travel the world. I was going to say around the world in eighty days. Uh, <laughs> I would I would like to travel the world. Okay, and uh, yeah, you know what? So <laughs> I think this is what people appreciate. So, well, I don't know. I don't know if I should leave it in for Sophia Press. I don't. I want to be invited back. Uh, I want you know. I don't. I don't want them to be like we don't want our authors on this goofy guy's show. That it's very very messy. Um, so you let me know if I keep that, keep that in or not. So, uh, all right, well, listen, I'm going to put the, the link to the book. I'm going to put the link to the Sophia press, everything in the show notes and, uh, any last words? Um, may St. Therese send you a shower of roses. Amen. And I mean, last words in terms of this interview, not like for your life. Okay. I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you for joining me for another episode of A Holy Mess Podcast. Please see the show notes in the description for this episode for more details and information about the topic and or the guest. You will find links and resources there to supplement this episode and help you along your messy but holy journey. Please also like, comment, subscribe, download, rate, review, and share all episodes. I want to thank Mike Mangione for providing me with the podcast theme song, Can You Love Me Falling, from his album, Red-Winged Blackbird Man. Finally, please note that while me, I, whatever the grammar is, Father Paul Hulis, while I am a priest for the Archdiocese of Newark, a holy mess with his holy mess podcast is not affiliated with the Archdiocese of Newark in any way, including fundraising efforts. This podcast is purely the personal hobby, product, and evangelization effort of Father Paul Hulis. Please join us again next time for another holy mess of an episode. Peace! Yeah!